Barty Jr. would have gotten away with it, too, if it weren't for you meddling kids. You're listening to The Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for amateur sleuths. The Dark Lord didn't manage to kill you, Potter, and he so wanted to. Imagine how he will reward me when he finds I have done it for him. I gave you to him, the thing he needed above all to regenerate, and then I killed you for him. I will be honored beyond all other Death Eaters. I will be his dearest, his closest supporter, closer than a son. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we are in the absolutely batshit crazy chapter of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire called Veritaserum. There has already been cursing in this episode, so I guess that must be some kind of record, but there will continue to be bad language and there will be spoilers in this episode of The Quibbler. There will also be some adult themes. This week's adult themes are self-incrimination, impersonating an officer, bait and switch, parenticide, and gaping plot holes. It's actually patricide, isn't it, specifically? Yeah. He doesn't kill pa- his mom. It's patricide. Okay, so patricide. He kind of kills his mom. And gaping, in a way. And gaping plot holes. Alex, good God, what happened? In this week's chapter, Harry, Cedric's corpse, and the Triwizard Cup go kerplunk outside of the maze. Harry is clutching the cup and Cedric's body, because, you know, he's just been through a whole thing. He hears lots of muffled voices. Eventually, Dumbledore, who's surprisingly strong for an old guy, pulls Harry up to his feet. Basically, there's pandemonium, as it turns out that in this tournament where children have died in the past, it seems that a child has died again. So, yeah. Make another notch on the Goblet of Fire, I guess. In the commotion, Mad-Eye Moody grabs Harry by the shoulders and steers him back toward the castle, takes him up to his office and says, tell me everything about what happened. And Mad-Eye's acting kind of weird, sort of mad, if you will. He's saying, is the Dark Lord back? Tell me what the Death Eaters did. Did he punish them? But seriously, bro, did he punish the Death Eaters? Harry says, whoa, rewind. Who put my name in the Goblet of Fire? Moody says, I did. Harry thinks, whoa, mindfuck, what is going on? Moody says, I told you I hated a Death Eater who went free. I put your name in the Goblet of Fire. I made sure that you won the tournament, even though you were kind of fucking dumb sometimes. You didn't study for the second task, bro. You could have drowned. Yeah, fair point. Fair point. (laughs) So Moody is sort of insulting him, but he's so carried away with his monologuing that he doesn't know that some people are coming up to the office in the faux glass. Dumbledore bursts down the door, followed by motherfucking Minerva McGonagall and Severus Snape. They stun Mad-Eye. Dumbledore gives some crazy fucking instructions to McGonagall. He says, go down to the pumpkin patch. There's a dog there. Take the dog to my office. Tell him I'll be there in like half an hour and to wait for me. And McGonagall (laughs) is like, yeah, that seems chill. I'll go talk to a dog for you. No questions asked. Uh, Sirius could be on that waiting dogs Instagram. He could. Just waiting in the pumpkin patch, waiting in Dumbledore's office. It's for a very dark reason. Usually dogs aren't waiting to find out 
what terrible thing happened to their godson. They're just waiting to go back for a walk. Uh, anyway, he tells Snape to go get the most badass truth potion he can find. I guess there are, like, less good truth potions than Verita Serum. Like, half-truth potions. <laughs> I, yeah, like, white lie potions. And he says to fetch the house elf, Winky, from the kitchens. So... McGonagall says maybe Harry should go to the hospital since he has been stabbed with a knife and has a giant spider bite on his leg. Double no, the spider didn't bite him. The spider dropped him. Oh, we spider already dropped. had this whole thing. No, no. He, remember, he got wounded by the spider. Right. The spider dropped well, him anyway, on his leg. He's got spider wounds. He's got knife wounds. He's got... Psychic scars that will never heal. He's got a literal scar that will never heal. He's got a... He's got like... Got a Cruci- migraine, basically. Cruciatus aches from being literally tortured. Harry's in rough shape. Dumbledore says, no, Harry needs to hear this out right now. He needs to know who put him through this ordeal. Harry's like, Mad-Eye? Dumbledore's like, no, not Mad-Eye. They wait a little while, and Mad-Eye morphs back into motherfucking Barty motherfucking Crouch motherfucking Junior, who has been using Polyjuice Potion all year to turn himself into Mad-Eye Moody. Who could have seen that coming? Literally no one. So Snape returns with the Verita Serum, which is clear, probably because of the clarity of truth or something like that. It's a really specific detail to have included in what we have continued to purport is a summary. (laughs) I like that the Verita Serum is clear because usually... There's like chunks of shit floating in these potions. You know, they're kind of gross. Yeah, okay. They're very viscous. I like that it's just, it's a clear liquid. It's like, it's a propyl alcohol or something. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, the Verita Serum's fucking cool. They pour it down Barty Jr.'s gullet and Dumbledore proceeds to interrogate him. His eyes aren't twinkling anymore. They are blazing. No fucking twinkles for Barty Crouch Jr. Dumbledore firmly but calmly interrogates Barty Jr., who, in sort of a monotone voice, bills out the entire tale of what the hell has been happening over the last year. Clears up a lot of questions for us. It turns out Barty Jr. went to Azkaban, but was smuggled out by his father as a last favor to his mother, who was heartbroken. They switched places via Polyjuice Potion and taking advantage of the fact that Dementors don't have eyes... The mother died in prison and buried by the fucking Dementors. Barty went back to his father's house, but lived basically imprisoned under the Imperious Curse and other spells, cared for by Winky, the house elf, who had uh, an affection for him. Eventually, when the Quidditch World Cup rolled around, Winky begged Barty Sr., to let him attend the cup underneath an invisibility cloak, which is why Winky was in the top box holding a seat for Barty Sr., who then never showed up. So that explains that. Barty Jr., meanwhile, had been getting better at breaking the Imperious Curse that his father put on him, managed to shake it free during the Quidditch World Cup, grabbed Harry's wand out from his pocket, Turns out Barty's great at, like, uh, pickpocketing, too, I guess. Dude is, like, really multi-skilled, as we will soon learn. Barty gave Winky the slip at some point. There were some also magical shenanigans where she tried to tie him back to... I, I, 
everything happening in the forest that was weird has to do with Barty Jr. or the Z plot of Ludo Bagman just being bad at gambling. It turns out that Barty Jr. cast the Dark Mark because he was fucking pissed to see the B-team Death Eaters that got free without suffering for Voldemort. A anyway, at some point, Peter Pettigrew and Voldemort, having been tipped off by Bertha Jorkins, pay a house call to the Grouches, overpower Barty Sr., put him under the Imperious Curse. Voldemort's like, I got a job for you, bro. Are you in or you're out? Barty Jr.'s like, I am so here for this, to he and Peter go and kidnap Mad-Eye Moody. Barty steals his identity and inserts himself into the various Triwizard Cup doings, thwarts the incredibly easily thwarted Goblet of Fire by entering Harry's name under a fourth fake school. I wonder if he had to give the school a name. Maybe like, he entered Barty's it as Ilvermore or whatever yeah, it is. Ilvermorny, mm, the yeah. American school. And... Yeah, he's the one who managed to transport Harry to Voldemort because he fucking hates his dad and he thinks that Voldemort will treat him like a son now that he's helped him return to power. Dumbledore's looking very disgusted and he's like, all right, well, we're going to tie you up and the Minister of Magic will probably want to interrogate you personally. What are we going to do now, guys? I don't know. That's what happens in this week's chapters. Also, Barty Jr. kills his father. Yeah, there was a lot of details. There's a lot of evil logistics. There are a lot through. of evil Barty, logistics. Yeah, Barty, when Barty Sr. got free because of worm, like some Wormtail fuck up, Barty Jr. saw him on the map, went and killed him after he had run into Crumb and Harry. And I, I, there's just, it's just, it's Barty's all the way down. <laughs> what the hell kind of name is Bartimius? I don't know. It's just Bartimus with an extra I. It's been bugging me for a long time. Feels totally unnecessary. It's just a vowel nobody asked for. It's the the pureblood wizards always have like the weird fucking names. They do. Everybody else is like, how about Cedric? Yeah. Although he's a pureblood, right? No idea. What? Whatever. Not important. Doesn't matter. So we've been waiting a long time to get to this reveal because this for me is. The single worst plot device that J.K. Rowling has ever devised, except, I guess, other than the fucking Cursed Child series of heinous plot devices. But whatever. <laughs> We're not counting those. This reveal blows. Harry stared at Moody. He just didn't see how this could be. Dumbledore's friend, the famous Auror, the one who had caught so many Death Eaters. It made no sense, no sense at all. I hate it. Well, I'm, this might be an incredibly unpopular opinion among our listeners, but I think this is such utter fucking bullshit. It's really hard to summarize, given the fact that you need to repeat every single detail for any of this to even sort of make sense. And even then, I don't know. It sort of reminds me of the movie Prometheus, which is not a 90s movie. It's a very bad 2010s movie. We already made a Prometheus reference. We put out a call to say, hey, please let us know if you don't understand this joke. And a bunch of people were like, nobody saw that movie, well, Alex. Let me, let me tell you, this plot twist is just as confusing as every plot twist in the movie Prometheus. So Interesting to no one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is wild. Does the book jump the shark here or jump the uh, 
jump the half crumb shark? I don't know. Jump the giant squid. Yeah. Does it jump the squid? The series doesn't. The book, yes, absolutely it does. Hmm. Which is hard because the chapters following this are incredibly good and really effective. But this reveal is just utter tripe. So first of all, it's like almost exactly the same but like more bonkers as book three when like such and such has been like masquerading as such and such all along and he's like been there the whole time like making all this crazy shit happen and you didn't know it. Ooh, She loves that plot twist because <sighs> spoiler alert for Fantastic Beasts, if you haven't heard it, like don't listen. It's the same fucking thing that happens in Fantastic Beasts as well. She loves the idea of... And in... Book three, the it hidden, the, 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 really the... nearly works, and then ever since then, in every iter- in every subsequent iteration, it just sucks more. <laughs> it just it fucking sucks. So let's dig into some of our our quibbles with this uh, particular. Yeah, plot let's twist. go small to huge. Okay. First of all, Barty has to be the smartest and most powerful and most skilled wizard in the world to pull this shit off. And even then, it seems like this would be a dicey plan. Okay, so he has to be this, like, extraordinary Daniel Day-Lewis-level method actor. (laughs) He has to embody Mad-Eye Moody around the people that Mad-Eye Moody knows best every single day for a year. So fucking insane. Also, like... He has to be strong enough directly after being, like, jailbroken from his father's house. You assume he's, like, incredibly weak, atrophied. He probably hasn't spoken to anyone except Winky in, like, literal years. And all of a sudden, he's still, like, a powerful enough wizard to, like, overpower Mad-Eye Moody to even, like, kidnap him. And Mad-Eye Moody is one of the most skilled aurors out there. So that doesn't make any sense to me. He's been characterized to us before as like kind of weak and feckless. He has that like whole scene where he's like begging and pleading his father not to put him in Azkaban. And now we're supposed to think that he's like Lord Voldemort's most faithful follower. And he was like proud to like serve his time because like his. It could be that he was playing a part as the kind of innocent kid. I guess now we know we weren't sure earlier upon rereading like whether he was a death eater from the beginning or if he just became one in Azkaban after being falsely imprisoned but it's pretty clear now that he was but it doesn't a make death any eater, sense like there there's no way that the character that we just met in this chapter would renounce Voldemort as he was being like dragged to Azkaban, especially the same time as Bellatrix Lestrange was like, you'll see, he will rise again. And he, oh, you're right. That like, doesn't make much sense. That doesn't make any sense because he's like, he renounces it as he's being dragged to Azkaban. And then all of a sudden he's Mr. Like, oh, I was the only true and faithful servant. That doesn't make any sense. We've been given no indication that he's a particularly skilled wizard. He was put in Azkaban when he was like 18 or oh, 19. Right. He would have been, you have a full magical education by then. Yeah, but like. I just nothing yeah. we've been told gives us any sense that this is an extraordinary person or an extraordinary wow. sorcerer. I didn't even think about him rena- like proclaiming his innocence in the trial and then how just what a fucking hypocrite he is. Yeah, or Maybe he... I think it's less that he's a hypocrite and more that this plot doesn't work. Did he convert in prison? I don't think so. I think that this is just broken. Fine. Okay, we'll try to rationalize it. Possibly he converted in prison. That's still not 
a great excuse to me. But for me, it's like less about whether or not he's truly loyal from the get-go and more about just his abilities. He has to be so incredibly smart and so incredibly powerful for this to make any sense. And we just like, we have no sense of why we should believe that he is either of those things. He's like better than Voldemort. horribly characterized. Right? It's at very minimum. It's, I'm sorry, Joe, because like, I love you. This is fucking dismal writing. Like, this is bad writing based on, like, how the characterization of Barty Crouch has happened so far. This is not done well. Hmm. But we do, we have decided that we do like reading Barty as Mad-Eye going back. There are parts of it that are really, yes, there are parts of that that are really carefully and well done. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I just don't think that... We're supposed to believe every single thing that we're told about this character in this, like, 15-page chapter. Right. Having had no exposure to any of these characteristics before. And I just think that that's really poorly executed. Yeah. It's also just monologues on monologues. Because we just had Voldemort Voldemort explain everything that happened. So much exposition. It's so much tell and not show. It's just, like, a lot of, like, really weak writing. And then, like, there are so many kind of, like, creaky issues with, like, even the polyjuice. Does he drink it when he sleeps? Like, does he wake up every hour to drink it? Because what if something, like, goes wrong in the middle of the night and all of a sudden he has to, like, hop out of bed and, like, deal with it? And he's Barty Jr. (laughs) How does he – so many things can go wrong. Maybe he sleeps under the invisibility cloak. That can slip off unless you, like, bind it around yourself, which, like, maybe that's what he does. Invisibility sleeping bag. (laughs) But basically, that's what you'd need. Like, okay, he's the one that turns the cup into a port key. But what if, like, fucking Fudge or Dumbledore or one of the judges was like, nah, dude, like, that's super inappropriate. You can't carry the Triwizard Cup. Like, then they're just fucked. Well, now we're getting into the... The mechanism of the actual plot that he, Voldemort, and Peter Pettigrew hatch, which so insane, also seems crazy because yeah, so many things can go wrong, as evidenced by the fact that Cedric almost wins and is only done in by he and Harry's like moments of Goodness. awesome friendship. Yeah, uh, you know how how could he have guaranteed that Harry wouldn't just fucking sprain his ankle and or crash like out. drown in the lake, which they think almost happened. And then Cedric just shows up by himself with Voldemort and Voldemort's like- Just never like, comes back. Kill the only dude. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm still a baby. Looks like, man, I fucked this up. When Harry came back- Crouch. Crouch Jr. must have been thinking, fuck. <laughs> Well, he is. He clearly yeah. is because that first scene where he like whisks Harry away by himself, he's just like, wait, you got to tell me what happened. Did the Dark Lord really come back? Like, because he's clearly flipping out. I do like that scene. I do like the mounting dread of that scene. I do too. But then when he becomes Crouch Jr. and we find out the actual mechanics of how this all happened, it starts to fall apart. I think this was like really cool to a lot of readers. The First time they got through it, just because the sheer blunt force, like craziness of the reveal. Yeah. But then, much like the movie Prometheus, when you start thinking about it, you're like, <laughs> "What the <laughs> fuck did I just experience? None of that made sense." It honestly, like, it would have been more interesting if it just was actually moody. Yes, I think that too. Because that moment when Harry is thinking that. Oh fuck! Is Moody been the bad guy the entire time? That is chilling. That's really that is scary. Genuine. And I chilling. think that would have been a really interesting 
plot decision. I guess it, it would have been like less crazy mystery, but the idea of the, the hardcore wizard hunter, like kind of becoming seduced by the allure of Voldemort, and maybe he started out as in the same way Crouch Senior sort of became like ruthless and uh, and terrible. Even though Crouch Senior never became uh, a Death Eater, it would have been really interesting if Moody had eventually been like, oh, game meets game. Voldemort is the baddest man on the block well, and maybe I should be working for him. And that's a narrative know. structure that we see and that's a trope that works in literature. Like it's like the crooked cop. Right. This idea that possibly he could have realized like, oh, it's more powerful than we can possibly fight. And like ultimately like I believe in like power. Right. And I just think like that would have been a really interesting plot twist. This is bullshit. This is the worst thing. This is the thing that I feel like actually personally let down by this plot twist. Is Mad-Eye Moody, as told in this book, is a beloved character. And it is not fair to take that away from your readers. Like, this is a really fucking cheap trick after you've spent an entire fucking 700-page book growing to, like, have such affection and sort of, like, awe for this character. That's not fair. I don't think that that's a reasonable authorial choice. If he was the bad guy, then you would get a much more intense emotional payoff. It would be harder, but it would be like more real. Mm-hmm. But and this he just is wasn't just there at all. A trick. This is just a fucking trick. It's such a bait and switch. And then the thing that makes even less sense to me is then the character Mad Eye Moody. The real one in the subsequent books doesn't fucking change at all. That's how good Barty Jr. was, that man. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's an Oscar-winning performance. No, there's no just, I know it doesn't make much it sense. It doesn't work that you create this character over the course of this, I'm sorry, overlong book. And then you have him, like the real him, be like a main or like at least a prominent character in three subsequent books. And... He's exactly the same. She differentiates him not at all from the Crouch performance. I just think that's really fucking lazy and dumb. I really do. Also, Harry takes Barty Jr. as Mad-Eye's career advice and becomes an Auror. Right. And then Harry (laughs) doesn't go back and like rethink every interaction he's had with Moody because he doesn't need to because every subsequent interaction he has with Moody is exactly the fucking same. I know. He's like, oh, say what you will about Barty Jr. He taught me to resist the imperious curse and, uh, you know, we got some pretty good practical lessons all year. He's a good teacher? He really is a really good teacher. He seems like he might actually be a better teacher than Mad-Eye because Mad-Eye is like genuinely just fucking twitchy. He plans engaging lessons? Yeah. Um, Barty I don't is know. missing multiple callings. The other thing Acting, is, teaching. So this is a reread podcast. So we're rereading and there's details in books five, six, and seven that I've forgotten. But is Barty ever really mentioned again? That's the other thing. I don't he, remember that he was. It's just this total standalone reveal. And like it Peter Pettigrew is much more satisfying because it's the same reveal, but then Peter is immensely important. Right. He has a whole arc. Yeah. But Barty is like, we've never met him before. Like, he's not one of these Death Eaters that we've sort of known about all along. He's not like Malfoy or one of these guys yeah. that, or, that has like a sort of a famous role in the books thus far. And then he's just fucking gone. Spoiler to the next episode, he gets Dementors kissed and he just vanishes from the very face of the planet. 
he's just a nobody. He's a nobody that turns the course of this universe. Yeah, he is the most important Death Eater. He is, basically. and he's just gone after this. And we don't ever get to know him as a character who's not pretending to be Mad-Eye. And we get him in this scene. Scene. One scene. And a flashback. And we never, like, hear how his act is, like, perceived by Voldemort, except for his, like, mini monologuing about his, like, quote-unquote faithful servant in the chapters before. But even at that point, we don't know who they're talking about. And he just, like, he registers not at all in the book's to come and it's just it's so weird and it's weird also because like this plot is always really hard for me to remember and I think it's partly because like there's nothing indelible about Barty Crouch Jr. like Mm. he doesn't stick with you he doesn't matter and yet he matters more than anyone else and like part of me is gonna say maybe that's interesting because maybe it's like this way of sort of just like saying like it doesn't matter who sets it in motion somebody flicks the domino and it doesn't matter whose finger that is because like all of this was sort of faded and inevitable that's my like most positive reading of it my only other interpretation is Voldemort like never mentions him again which goes counter to what Barty Jr. expected he says oh I'm gonna be rewarded and honored above all others and Voldemort just could give a fuck yeah he kind of uses Barty Jr.'s existence to shame the Death Eaters in the previous scene in the graveyard. And then he just never mentions Barty again. He's never like, good old Barty, got me back to life. Uh, and that could just be Voldemort well, doesn't give a shit about anybody except his own thing. Or this wasn't that good of a plot device and it's not really worth mentioning again. I don't know. One thing that's interesting about it is that, like, even Voldemort's most loyal supporters are so essentially disposable to him. Right. Like, I do think that the fact that he never mentions him again, it bugs me. I don't think it's, like, a great authorial choice because I think you just, like, lose the thread of this entire book. But it is interesting that you know, Barty is, like, single-handedly why Voldemort can, like, return to power. And yet Voldemort is, like, once he's gone, he's, like, out of sight, out of mind. And nobody matters to Voldemort. Right. Like, he doesn't memorialize anyone because he doesn't care about anyone. And even his most loyal servant is so utterly disposable. He would, like, kill him with the flick of a wrist if he needed to. And it doesn't matter to him that he's dead or gone or whatever. So what works about this plot? Because I'm... So apologies for going so hard. I'm sorry. I really do hate this particular twist. Like really hate it. But I don't want to like discount the fact that a lot of elements of this book are really fucking good and fun. Does it ruin your enjoyment of the book? No. Right. It's still like a ro- It's a rollicking ride. It's a rollicking ride. It ruins – this has been true every time I've read this series. It ruins Mad-Eye for me. It really does. Which is too bad cause because Mad-Eye is a, a great character. Conception. But it – yeah, Mad-Eye Mad dies and, like, I remember not really caring because I was, like, I've never really glommed back onto him because I got so fucking faked out. The one thing it totally ruins for me is it totally ruins the character of Mad-Eye Moody, which is a bummer. That's a huge bummer, and that's on JK. Like, that's her fault. But it doesn't ruin – I mean, it certainly doesn't ruin the series. It doesn't ruin a lot of the, like, emotional impact. It's, like, interesting and, like – 
crazy. She builds up these huge reservoirs of goodwill because so many of the B, C, D, and E plots are so delightful and well-drawn, like the twins and the joke shop and Ludo Bagman, like, gambling and, and, you know, Rita Skeeter. And she racks up so many narrative wins that we're willing to forgive her some of these huge, like... Big, this is a massive narrative stumble. The one thing I think really works about this plot, and I think this is like under discussed and like underrepresented, is the use of Winky is masterful. Yes. Tell me about the Quidditch World Cup, said Dumbledore. Winky talked my father into it, said Crouch, still in the same monotonous voice. She spent months persuading him. I had not left the house for years. I had loved Quidditch. Let him go, she said. He will be in his invisibility cloak. He can watch. Let him smell fresh air for once. She said my mother would have wanted it. She told my father that my mother had died to give me freedom. She had not saved me for a life of imprisonment. He agreed in the end. Winky, she's sort of the, like, linchpin in this whole thing. Like, you know, we've seen her as sort of exclusively servile and just, like, brainwashed, but she's actually, like, deeply empathetic. She wants to go to the Quidditch World Cup with Barty Jr. because she knows he loves Quidditch, which is so kind. Yeah. And it's a lot like Cedric in that her essential goodness dooms everyone. Ooh, that's grim. It's really grim, but it's grim in a way that I like. Well, and Barty Sr.'s treatment of her is what helps unravel everything. Right, it's true. Barty's cruelty toward the elf and the elf's just like shining sort of like goodness but also her inability to like see her masters for what they are are just like ruinous. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. And uh, that's a well that's a problem with the whole structure of like house elf serfdom, right? Yeah. She's seeing all this bad shit going down, but why would she have loyalty to the broader wizarding world? No, there's no reason for her to, and there's no reason for her to believe anything outside the household that she lives in. Like, her, she's so kind of blocked off from the rest of the world that she doesn't have any way of, like, having, like, a larger frame of reference. And all she does is spend time with this man who is being tortured and held captive. And she, like is enough of just a good and empathetic being that she hates that. She doesn't want to see the only human that she spends any time with in torment. And so she's like, let's change that. And It's sort of a sneaky rebellion against her own status because she can't quite bring herself to think she's being treated unjustly because, you know, just there's the layers and layers of... uh, culture and indoctrination and uh yeah she's just like straight up oppressed right but she feels natural sympathy toward a fellow captive basically you're right so she's sort of she's sort of acting out against her own servitude by helping Barty Jr. Yeah, like by she's proxy. Like Even if she her doesn't own, recognize right. it herself. She, she I don't is know. like enacting her own like emancipation narrative by like wanting to free Barty Jr. I think that's a really, really good point. So yeah, Winky is she's a wonderful character right. here. And that her story is like incredibly compelling. Well, <sighs> poor, poor Winky. She has a sad life. Do we ever hear from Winky again either, though? Yeah, Winky. I, Winky Does she show up again? Winky shows up again in book five. I feel so bad for Winky. Winky has 
one of the hardest lots of any character. I think so. She didn't. She was trying to make right choices as she saw them, you know. Uh, yeah. But the wizards around her were just so fucking bad. Yeah. And uh, man, I know. Yeah, she has one of the saddest arcs of. I mean, and all three house elves have really sad arcs. But Winky's to me is the saddest, even though like it's most like affecting as a reader what happens to Dobby. Like Dobby has a pretty baller life for a house elf. Dobby gets to like be a part of the resistance in a really serious way. And Winky just like kind of her whole life is just like blotted out by this. It's really sad. So the Crouches are the worst. Oh, man. Just, like, across the fucking board. uh, That is some uh, family drama. I wish we got to know a little more about Mrs. Crouch. I would like you to tell us, said Dumbledore softly, how you came to be here. How did you escape from Azkaban? Crouch took a deep, shuddering breath, then began to speak in a flat, expressionless voice. My mother saved me. She knew she was dying. She persuaded my father to rescue me as a last favor to her. He loved her as he had never loved me. He agreed. They came to visit me. They gave me a draft of Polyjuice Potion containing one of my mother's hairs. She took a draft of Polyjuice Potion containing one of my hairs. We took on each other's appearance. Winky was shaking her head, trembling. Say no more, Master Barty. Say no more. You is getting your father into trouble. But Crouch took another deep breath and continued in the same flat voice. The Dementors are blind. They sensed one healthy, one dying person entering Azkaban. They sensed one healthy, one dying person leaving it. My father smuggled me out, disguised as my mother, in case any prisoners were watching through their doors. My mother died a short while afterward in Azkaban. She was careful to drink Polyjuice Potion until the end. She was buried under my name and bearing my appearance. Everyone believed her to be me. Barty Jr. says that my father loved my mother as he never loved me. So you get a sense, you get at least a little bit of a glimmer of the relationship between the married crouches. But Barty's mother loves Barty Jr. more than she loves Mr. Crouch. So maybe there's some weird jealousy there. That's the the mismatch. That's Mm -hmm. the dynamic that, yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like you could write just like a, non-magical just, just a like realistic fucking realistic like, fiction about the crouches yeah like a super like a kind of a great american novel like family saga about the crouches it'd be the great british novel i would definitely read just like realistic fiction like a big sweeping epic about the crouch family's lives Barty Sr., I'll just touch on this again. We kind of discussed this earlier in earlier episodes, but he makes some really unethical decisions. He fucks Bertha Jorkins up. Yeah. He damages her brain so that she can't, like, remember things or make good decisions, clearly, because she goes off into the woods with Peter Pettigrew uh, later and then gets tortured to death by the Dark Lord. But then, but not before she tells him everything that she knows. Ah, all because of... All because Barty Sr. ruins everything. He does. He's just as monstrous as his son. And he's a really satisfying character, unlike Barty Jr. Because He's we see well his, drawn. Yeah, we see his whole career arc. Yeah. He's got strengths. He's got weaknesses. No, he's much more interesting. And 
again, like, if he was the evil one the whole time, that would have been satisfying. Like, there's so many people who, like, if it sat with them, if he put Harry's name in the Goblet of Fire because, like, he came to see his son's point of view and, like, wanted to, like, avenge what happened to his son or, like, somehow, like, right the wrong that he committed against his son. Like, that would be an interesting plot. There are so many more interesting plots than the one we get. (laughs) I'm so annoyed. Uh, Alternate goblets. Maybe that's why Cursed Child is obsessed with rewriting this book. Yeah, because this book needs rewriting desperately. She's just like, okay, here's every fucking plot I could have possibly come up with for Goblet of Fire. Let's put it in a play. Yeah. In uh, two parts on Broadway. Not yet on Broadway, but it's coming. Coming to Broadway. Yeah. Anybody else would have been a better bad guy almost. Uh, Mrs. Norris puts Harry in the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, if it was Mrs. Norris, I would be infinitely more satisfied. But here is, let's give credit we don't usually give. Here is a character who is infinitely satisfying in this chapter. Albus Dumbledore. Albus motherfucking Dumbledore is a badass. I was loving Dumbledore in this chapter. Oh, yeah. There was a blinding flash of red light, and with a great splintering and crashing, the door of Moody's office was blasted apart. Moody was thrown backward onto the office floor. Harry, still staring at the place where Moody's face had been, saw Albus Dumbledore, Professor Snape, and Professor McGonagall looking back at him out of the faux glass. He looked around and saw the three of them standing in the doorway, Dumbledore in front, his wand outstretched. At that moment, Harry fully understood for the first time why people said Dumbledore was the only wizard Voldemort had ever feared. The look upon Dumbledore's face as he stared down at the unconscious form of Mad-Eye Moody was more terrible than Harry could have ever imagined. There was no benign smile upon Dumbledore's face, no twinkle in the eyes behind the spectacles. There was cold fury in every line of the ancient face. A sense of power radiated from Dumbledore as though he were giving off burning heat. He stepped into the office placed a foot underneath Moody's unconscious body and kicked him over onto his back so that his face was visible. Dumbledore with his rage unleashed is like so much more like viscerally satisfying than twinkly eye grandpa Dumbledore. Right, because they're like blazing. And I like how calm he is, but clearly just like fucking pissed. Yeah. He's got that George Washington thing where like, Clearly, he had, like, rage issues as a young man, and now he's just, like, buried it under, like, all this, like, stoicism. Like, has learned through incredibly careful management to control this, like, river of rage and passion. So, yeah, his dispassionate interrogation of... It's so cool. It's like it is like kind of like a cop movie, which Mm -hmm. I do really like. And I I, and Harry thinking to himself, "Whoa, this is why people think Dumbledore is a baller." That's a really, really, really good moment. I also think that Dumbledore insisting that Harry hear it is like very cool. It's intense. It's super intense. And what he says is like, "Okay, Harry is going to have to get past this somehow. Like Harry's going to need to heal." And the only way he can heal is if he understands the truth of what happened to him. I did write in the margins, though, oh, so now Dumbledore is going to admit that Harry has some fucking therapy to do. Yeah. Like, this is the first time (laughs) Dumbledore has ever been like, Harry's, like, got some shit to work. In these last few chapters, Dumbledore is taking pretty good care of Harry, but it's sort of like... 
a little too late at this point. Yeah, it's you know, a he's little like, bit like... Uh, got a shield here. Like, nobody asked Harry what's up. He needs, like, some space. It's like, you couldn't have told him that in, like, book one. Yeah, when I, he I don't know. When he burned Quirrell to death with his hands. Still, he's just like, everybody ask Harry what's up. Because, like, let me tell you, it's a crazy story. Still... How did Dumbledore miss this plot? Oh, my God. There's the moment where he says, the second Mad-Eye Moody took you away at a moment like this and, like, didn't tell me where he was taking you, I knew it was an imposter. And it's like, then? Then? Yeah, not when he was, like, conducting warrantless searches of your potion master's office. I know. (laughs) For polyjuice ingredients. God. Or or performing the imperious curse on students. That's like less about Dumbledore and more about the extent to which this plot just doesn't work. And you're like, it just, it fucks up so many pieces of characterization because this has, this is very unlike Dumbledore. And it's because this, it, God, this plot doesn't work. Ay, 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 The cursed plot. <sighs> the cursed Harry Potter and the cursed plot. Exactly. So the last wizard I want to talk about is Peter Pettigrew. It's interesting in these scenes because... Voldemort's always making fun of Peter and saying what a fucking useless piece of shit he is. And the gang, the Marauders kept him around as a mascot. And Sirius says he was a pretty crappy wizard, which is why he could only pull off like a rat. But then Peter goes with presumably like fairly emaciated like captive Barty Jr., and they tag team one of the most badass ors ever. Yeah, they like totally own Mad Eye Moody. You and know, I, that's probably mostly Peter. It seems like it. I mean, maybe unless I guess Barty Jr. is he's, supposed to be this improbably like a crazy ninja wizard, but he's the one that like gets Bertha. Yeah, he's the one that like keeps Voldemort alive. He's the one that sort of carries Voldemort to like recruit Barty for this whole plot like it turns out Peter is the reason like any of this happens he cuts his own fucking arm off yeah no on his own steam. I think that we're being lied to that Peter Pettigrew is like this super shit wizard and in fact I think one of the reasons he probably goes so bad is because he's like I'm actually not shit at all and my friends are really really mean to continue to treat me as though I'm this like nobody and like this nothing wizard he blew an entire sidewalk apart cut his own finger off actually peter's like really really good at like mutilating himself Uh, he blew an entire sidewalk apart and then successfully framed a man for murder while living undercover for 12 years no you know a genius yeah a little bit he got the rap mannerisms down so yeah peter peter is the worst he might not be a terrible wizard, No, actually. I think he's the opposite. I actually think he's a really, really powerful wizard. Also, presumably, like, he's the one that made the potion that brings Voldemort back. Yeah. Right? Because Voldemort couldn't have made that on his own. I mean, he gave Pettigrew instructions, but Voldemort probably is like, I did the whole thing. You just, like, did the literal pouring. But no, as we learned from Snape's class, like, being given instructions doesn't make you an excellent, like, potion maker. So, no, Peter has done all of this incredibly crazy baller stuff throughout the, the two books we've known him. And terrible, he just gets, like, but great. Terrible, but great. We get, like, no credit for Peter Pettigrew. So I'm just going to, like, give him some right Everyone's now. always saying, like, why is he a griffin? Door. Maybe that. I mean, he's he's brave in a cowardly way. I don't. Is that does that make sense? Well, he's you know? brave in all the wrong circumstances. Like he's right. brave enough to cut off his arm. We talked about this last time, but he's not brave enough to like defy 
Voldemort. He's totally overpowered by more forceful personalities. Like, I think his weak personality is true. Yeah, he's a hero worshiper. Yeah, and he's really sniveling. And, I mean, he's his, like, character is very weak. But his magical abilities seem, like, decent. So, like, yeah, here's, like, a weird sort of, like, counterintuitive hot take from the Quibbler. Peter Pettigrew, pretty fucking good at his job. And no credit from Voldemort, but Voldemort doesn't give anybody credit. He doesn't credit, give anybody credit. Except for kind of Bellatrix Lestrange because she's like hot, hot and crazy. Yeah. Who doesn't love a hot and crazy girl? If I did, if I learned anything from Tyler Durden, it's that. <laughs> Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is the real Mad-Eye. Will he please stand up? No, he can't because his leg is missing. So... He perseveres. Yeah. He gets the fuck through it. Down in the trunk. I feel bad for him. But then he signs up for the fight after this. That's true. He does not drop out. He's like, you know what? I'm going to call it a career after having been kidnapped by Blondie and kept in a trunk for 10 months. Nope. Nope. He's like, let me at him. Yeah. So props to you, Mad-Eye. Mine is Professor Minerva McGonagall because she does not bat a fucking eyelash and in any moment in this chapter. Severus, please fetch me the strongest truth potion you possess, and then go down to the kitchens and bring up the house elf called Winky. Minerva, kindly go down to Hagrid's house, where you will find a large black dog sitting in the pumpkin patch. Take the dog up to my office, tell him I will be with him shortly, then come back here. If either Snape or McGonagall found these instructions peculiar, they hid their confusion. Both turned at once and left the office. First, she's told to go have a conversation with the dog. And she's like, sweet. And then she comes back and he's like, okay, now you guard Barty Crouch Jr. Because I got a bunch of other shit to do, which is a really scary job. And Minerva, again, is just like, yep, roger that. She's just like made of steel. And there's this one moment where she looks like she's about to be sick. But she's pointing her wand at Barty Jr. And Harry notices, like, her hand is completely steady. Like, she is just made of, like, steel wool and, like, tartan. (laughs) She's a baller. This week's episode is brought to you by Verita Serum. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Please go subscribe to this podcast wherever you prefer while you're there. If you would not mind leaving us some stars, preferably five of them, and a little review, that would be infinitely gratitude producing. We would be infinitely grateful for that. Also, tell a friend or a coworker or an acquaintance or even an enemy. We even want your enemies to listen. Not if they're mean and will hate us. But if they like Harry Potter and you guys, if you guys just have a disagreement about something else, then yeah, tell your enemies. Um, I hope not. I hope you guys aren't walking around with like a fuck ton of enemies. (laughs) Sorry about that. I'm making a lot of assumptions about our glorious listeners. You can find us on social media at Quibbler Podcast, various places. Gmail is uh, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. Next week, we are reading the last two chapters of Goblet of Fire. Wow, we, are, we made it. I know, my God. It didn't. It was touch and go for a minute there. We are reading The Parting of the Ways and The Beginning. Of? The War. The rest of the series. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, amigos.
Moody, Harry said. He was still in a state of complete disbelief. How can it have been Moody? It made no sense, no sense at all. This is not Alastair Moody, said Dumbledore quietly. You have never known Alastair Moody. The real Moody would not have removed you from my sight after what happened tonight. The moment he took you, I knew, and I followed. Now we'll find out who the Mad Doctor really is. Well, there's only one person it could be. <gasps> Crouch! Barty Crouch! Good heavens! Like, what do you know? It's Barney! And it would have been the perfect crime if you kids hadn't crossed me up. Well, we'll see you get a perfect jail cell instead.